So anyone that was keen to embark on a career in, in analytics, what advice would you give them? A lot of people who are drawn to analytics are mathematically minded. And a lot of them make choices quite early in their education to say, okay, I'm going to do maths and I'm going to do physics and chemistry and further maths. And, you know, the number of people I'll talk to who are saying that's my kind of combination of A-levels. And then they enter the world of work and you sit down and say, okay, let's, let's, let's write a report on the back of the great analytics you've done. And some of them literally say, I haven't written a sentence since I was 16 because all of my courses have been mathematical mm -hmm. and I'm not sure how to make myself sound eloquent. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Soapbox podcast, a podcast that gives you an insight into the people that do insight best. I'm Richard Brown, a research director at Box Clever, and I'm joined by Tilly Lewis, our marketing manager. Combined, we make the Soapboxes. Box Clever, as many of you will know, is a full service market research agency based in Leeds, and we're all smart, creative thinkers. And as such, we do like to get on our Soapbox. We often have plenty to say. As insight specialists, we spend our time helping our clients understand what makes consumers tick. But on this podcast, we'll find out what makes the people behind the insights tick, what keeps them up at night, and what makes them who they are. So, for our second episode, we're very pleased to welcome one of the founders of Box Clever, 11 years ago, a professional economist and Yorkshire's Clint Eastwood of Analytics. It's Sam Gardner. Sam, thank you for joining us today. And you're known as someone that creates analytical solutions which elevate insight to a level that is truly engaging and commercially actionable. But you're also an outstanding table tennis player. So Sam, tell us, how did you end up in research? I think like everyone in research, um, if they're really honest, completely by accident. Finished university, went back to my home, not really a clue about how the world of work worked or what I wanted to do. I thought, I'll go traveling like everyone does. Then I thought, oh, I should get a job to save up to go traveling. And then I thought, oh, I should get a job that's maybe vaguely relevant to what I do. So I went for an interview at a company um, called, called Nunwood and... Well, that was that was all right. Quite quite like that. And next thing I knew, I was heading up an analytics team there. And five years into my career, but I think it was not really by it's by accident that I got into research. But when I got into research, I realised how dynamic the industry was. It wasn't just you know, a lot of the blue rinse brigade as everyone thinks, <laughs> and and how I guess how low, low the kind of barriers are to being creative with numbers, with, with everything that we do and approaching problems with, with fresh ways. You know, a lot of my peers at uni were going into very traditional careers, you know, accountancy, various different areas of consultancy, and, and it all seemed very structured and this is how you do it. There's a way to everything. And actually it just felt very different to all of that. So I thought I'm going to stick this out. And, you know, it's a small company, which I also really bought into. And yeah, that's that's me. That's that's where I end up. I still I still history. wake up questioning myself whether <laughs> I made the right career choice. But you know, it's a bit late now. So when you set up Box Clever, coming on twelve years this year, what did you want to achieve? What did you set out? What was your vision? 
I think the the biggest thing we wanted to achieve was set up a company that worked for us in our lives. I think it definitely wasn't about empire building. I remember we sat down at the outset and with a glass of wine and a pen and paper and what do we want? What are our values? And I think we said, you know, the biggest things we want are to be able to have time to spend with our families and, and you know, make a good living so we've got options. But it was never about let's build an empire to make a fortune and then retire early. We all loved what we, we did. And all of us, the three of us who set the company agreed that if we were still doing it at 55, 65, that's not a bad thing because we actually genuinely enjoy it. And if we stop enjoying it, we should probably stop doing it. So the outset was not just to build a business and get in, get out quickly, which I've seen a lot of people do. And I think it can be quite detrimental to the companies that are in, in that process. So we said, let's set out and build something that's going to suit our lives and let's build a business which really values its staff and, and also enables them to do the, the great things that they want to with their lives. And that was the kind of starting point and, and that, that philosophy. And I think we always knew we wanted to, what we wanted to do in terms of be a strategic insight consultancy. We knew we wanted to surround ourselves with senior individuals who we all, you know, we could all look up to each other and just really um, work well together. We'd, we'd done a lot of time in our careers working with more junior teams. And, and whilst it's great to develop them, I think we were definitely at a stage where we just wanted to surround ourselves in like-minded peers. So we also did say, how, what kind of scale do we want to get to? And, and it's kind of the scale that we're at now. So if I look back and said, okay, what was the plan in terms of lifestyle and the ethos of the company? I think we have largely achieved everything we, we tried to set out to do. Analytics is very much in your blood, but I imagine a lot of people listening won't know what it is or, or know very much about it. So tell us, I mean, don't get carried away, but what does it bring to the table? So it's a really interesting one. And I think a lot of people divide analytics and, and more basic quant research into two separate buckets. And, and I, you know, I'll come across individuals who'll say, okay, what, what are we looking at here? Is it is it a percentage or is it something a little bit more complicated than a percentage? And if it's a bit more complicated, it's analytic. And I think actually that's, it's a shame that analytics and more, most people see as run-of-the-mill research because I think there's a, a load of great mathematical, in mind of more but quantitative individuals out there who can do lots and lots of analytics. But I think in essence what analytics is about, it's about spotting patterns in, in data so that you can go beyond what's obviously apparent in that data to arrive at insights that give businesses a competitive advantage that they wouldn't have had otherwise. So simple things like asking a consumer how happy they are with a brand and then asking them about what else they think about that brand and looking at how all of the other things they say relate back to that overall satisfaction metric and, and then saying, okay, well, this thing clearly relates a lot more than this thing. So if we focus on that, we're going to drive satisfaction that's just a really basic example of how you're just going a bit beyond what's on the surface of the numbers to get to something that's a bit more revealing and, a bit, and able to give competitive advantage and obviously the techniques get go from there and, and there's lots of different you know fields across a whole range of, of sectors not just research but everything that drives analytics and I, I think I come at it from a very commercial perspective that's kind of my, my background is more the economic side of things and out and out statistics. A great explanation and so anyone that was kind of keen to embark on a career in in analytics what what advice would you give them i think the big thing for me is that a lot of people who are drawn to analytics are mathematically minded 
And a lot of them make choices quite early in their education to say, okay, I'm going to do maths and I'm going to do physics and chemistry and further maths. And, you know, the number of people I'll talk to who are saying that's my kind of combination of A-levels. And then they enter the world of work and you sit down and say, okay, let's, let's, let's write a report on the back of the great analytics you've done. And some of them, I'm not being flippant here when I say that some of them literally say, I haven't written a sentence since I was 16 because all of my courses have been mathematical mm-hmm. um, and I'm not sure how to make myself sound eloquent. And I think my advice to people who want to get into analytics careers is is always push yourself not to be too blinkered. If you're you know, a hero coder or you just absolutely love love stats, don't dismiss everything else. Um, you know, Look at history, look at reading and writing, because I think a lot of them will become quite narrow-minded. And I think the great analysts are those who can communicate really clearly with people, can translate what they do analytically into into business problems. And I think anyone who makes sure they give some due attention to those side of things throughout their learning and development will become 10 times better analysts than they would otherwise. And what of all the wonderful analytics techniques that you have up your sleeve, which is your favourite? I mean, as you know, I love a Max Diff. Yeah. I love a Turf. Oh, yeah. How about you? Oh, God, what do I love? I, I mean, I, do, I, do, I always love a good, a good conjoint exercise, but... I have to say the bit I love the most is when you're given something which is just not quite perfect and you know, there's gaps in the data and you're just asked to do something with it and it's what we used to call wanky pokey stats. <laughs> um, is that the technical term? It's definitely the technical <laughs> term for it. And and you just take something that no one's been able to do something with and they've given it to often to analysts who will just point out all the flaws in, in the data that's there and you, you weave a story through it and... You're very clear that there's assumptions in here and and the only the insight you've got to is only based on those assumptions being true. But then the commercial thinkers at the other end can say, well, do you know what? What you've given me is still better than me putting my finger in the air and making a guesstimate, which I would have done otherwise. So I've done a lot of work looking at how much value do, do, does a business get from driving, say, MPS. And there's lots of different ways you can tackle it data-wise. You, you can use econometric modeling to do it, but there's problems with that because you've got your, your MPS score might not vary so much over time and you can't get the variability in the data to, to, to forge the links. And there's loads of other things going on which drives commercial performance so often. Uh, an MPS score is completely lost in that in in what drives commercial success, and I've done quite a lot of work at an individual customer level trying to link MPS through to if a customer's giving us a high MPS score or a low MPS score, how likely are they to stay with that brand? How likely are they to buy more? How likely are they to actually recommend and drive word of mouth acquisition? So you can work out what the logical routes would be, but then the data to prove those relationships often doesn't exist or it's not perfect and you have to make assumptions along the way and i've done projects where there's been lots of assumptions in there but we've got to an answer and then the stakeholders will turn around and naturally challenge you and say well there's gaps here there's gaps there and we'll say you're right there are gaps this is not about giving you an exact forecast but it's about helping your decision making so that you make the right decisions and when that sinks in they go, do you know what? You're absolutely right. This is really valuable. Now, that's the kind of analytics that I like the most, is the short answer. And you clearly, Sam, have a, a great passion for insight, for analytics and for business. But I know that those passions are matched for other things too. <laughs> Tell us about whiskey. Whiskey. Oh, God. Right. So I'll never claim to be an expert on whiskey because that's a really dangerous thing to do. But I do, I do love my whiskey. I'm not necessarily got... Any kind of clear favourites? I like my I like my peaties, I like my sweets. I've, I like them. 
I think my favourite is I've got a um, I'm going to pronounce this wrong probably now a Brookladic and it's a it's been blended by a company called North Star and and it's absolutely fantastic. So I like like that. I like like I like that whiskey as well. But I started drinking whiskey when when I was a lot younger and we used to do quite a lot of whiskey nights and. Um, yeah, they were quite messy. I won't say any more on that. Um, but yeah, in more recent years, it's just been a, a nice go-to tipple on the evening once I've managed to get the kids back in the cages and it's all quiet in the house. And yeah, just to relax and unwind. So so yeah, that's, that's me and whiskey, really. Got more into gin quite recently and gin sours specifically. Those are those always coming out on, on a Sunday evening when you know you've got to go back to work on a Monday. It's quite a good anesthetic to get through the rest of the evening. Get rid so, of the Sunday blues. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get into adding little bits of water. Well, which, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of people initially are like, oh no, you don't add water to your whiskey. But then actually, if you if you if you get a little pipette, which everyone has to have a pipette if, if you're really into your <laughs> it's whiskey. It's such a good word. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Although that pipette was disappearing into my daughter's. Where was it going? It was definitely going up her nose the other day. Um, so I think I might need to wash, wash, wash it out. Wash the pipette. Yeah. So she, she stole my pipette. But yeah, I think if you start out with it just neat, have a little sip, and then just put a tiny bit of water, go again, keep going. It just it lengthens the flavor, makes it a bit, um, last a bit longer, dilutes it a little bit. But some of the whiskies, they're really, some of the flavors at the back end just really pop out when you put a bit of water in and it's, it's a bit of a personal preference thing but i always put a tiny bit in and work out some some of the really strong ones you definitely need a good bit of water in to bring out the flavors but some of the, the weaker ones you don't so it's yeah it's a, bit, a bit varied you just got to try i think that's it i think there's a lot of people are really pretentious when it comes to things like whiskey and and i think it's just you know like everything is just do what, what works for you with it yeah apart from um cleaning your pipette do you have a, any other mottos or mantras that you you like to live by oh god <laughs> that's a really tricky one isn't it mottos and mantras that i live by i think there are lots of things that i should probably change but <laughs> i think the biggest thing for me is i just hate bullshit i just hate there's so much flannel out there and people who especially hide behind their Flannel. I'm, really, I'm quite a specific person. I don't like how you looked at me when you said <laughs> that. <laughs> no. In the business, you know, we're, the three of us who are, are quite different in the way that we think and really complimentary. But I'm always the one who's like, right, let's write actions down. What's the next steps? What's, you know, now that's the way I am. So I think that, that's one thing. Is always, and we always have this, the, the bullshit button that Box Clever is, you know, just if we're talking bullshit or we're using language, that's just a bit higher order or mm -hmm. you know things like scope creep or things like that just let's just call a spade a spade but yeah. i think that's also part of being yorkshire as well of course so, yeah. and that's probably why it works yeah and i do try and say try not to take life too seriously and that's something that i struggle with i'm always quite i can get quite intense sometimes for a lot of the time but actually i always try and you know come back to let's yeah, not take life too seriously, which is where all my inappropriate humour <laughs> comes from really that's why we love you trying Sam. to cut through the seriousness <laughs> Catherine mentioned when we had her on the podcast that Claire sometimes has to sort of mediate between you two. I find that fascinating because on the, on the, the shop floor, as it were, you three are all quite measured and, and, and calm. Tell yeah. us what really goes on. <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, we are. We're like work husband and work wife. And, yeah, we, I think both Catherine and I, you know, we, we, we have very strong opinions and views and, and we don't hold back from just 
tearing shreds of each other. You know how you, you go into a lot of meetings, I've got something I need to be critical about. I'm going to think about how I'm going to say this to someone. Now, me and Catherine, we just shoot from the hip. Um, but it's also what makes us honest as well um, and why we've kind of been going for, for 10 years. I think you know Claire, Claire does get stuck in the middle sometimes, definitely mediating us a bit. Obviously, she's a great moderator, so she's good at that stuff. But, you know, sometimes me and Catherine just need to... Um, you know, hug and make up. So I think we have actually we have actually been asked by a client who genuinely thought we were married, <laughs> um, and a, a someone who was working with us for quite a long period of time. And was like, so, so what's it like at home? And we were like, what do you mean? Were you married? I were like, no. Oh my god, you, the way you talk, just like you're, you're married. So, what would you say? This is a tough question. What's been your your best moment in research? My best moment in research probably was when. We won the best new agency, Box Clever. So that was after our first year or eighteen months of, of of trading, and it was just a moment of, yeah, we've 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 done this. It's a big you know big step when you set your own business up. You think, are we going to succeed or is it all just going to fail? And and to get to that stage, you know, yeah, we had been trading for I think it was about eighteen months by the time we got there. And yeah, we got that recognition of, you know, best new agency. I mean, all the awards are political and I think that one was political too, you know, where people were, were rooting for us to win it because they, they just liked us. It didn't matter what we wrote in the submission. So, mm -hmm. um, but it was still, you know, personally, it was a you know, validation, not necessarily from the industry, but just to myself and, and the three of us to say, yeah, we've, we've done this. We've, 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 we've embarked on a new journey. And that was a real high point. Yeah. And with that question I put to you, What's been your worst moment in research? My worst moment was probably around the same time as my best moment. I re we received a quite a big non-competitive brief from a from a client, and it was really early days. You know, we were still really getting going. We got this brief, and I was over the moon. And I wrote an email to Claire and Catherine saying, "Oh, mother chucker, this is amazing," and sent the email to the client. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> who I then had to ring up and apologize profusely to because it was very unprofessional and it was very rude language and the client thought it was absolutely hilarious um, at the time and it was all fine and we continued to work with them for many years since. But that, at the time it was just like, oh my God, what have I just done <laughs> moment? So I think we've all had those moments where we sent wrong emails, but that was a, a very wrong email to yeah. send. Tell us about young Sam. Tell us about yeah. school. <laughs> what were you like? Small. <laughs> um, even smaller than I am now, uh, Mr. Muscle. I think that's what people called me. Obviously, back of those Mr. Muscle adverts. I was definitely a bit of a geek at school, a bit of a swap. But actually, I was quite a chameleon too. So I didn't tend to suffer like a lot of the other geeks did from getting picked on. I used to be able to blend in with all of the kind of more cool kids or the rough kids. I definitely wasn't one of the cool kids, but um, and and they wouldn't pick on me. They'd kind of you know they respect me, and so I was always inappropriate and rude um <laughs> that's that's i don't know where i came from actually i do know where i came from that's my mum's fault and and then yeah the friends i grew up with as well that didn't help but yeah i was always I was quite conscientious so i always had this paranoia that if i didn't work really hard and and succeed that my whole life would be a failure so which is something that i realized is absolute rubbish having you know kind of got into the world of work and realized you don't have to be academically good to succeed so um but yeah that was me as a kid and do you think you've changed over the years for better or worse? Some ways better, some ways worse. I think I realized that I was quite narrow, single-minded at, at school and uni that, you know, you have to succeed academically to, to, to get places in, in life. And, and, and I always put a lot of stock into, you know, being 
and excellent at whatever it is that you do in terms of the technical side of things. And I think over time, I've realized more and more that's that counts less and less. It's actually how you are with other people and, and how you interact with people and, and how they perceive you, what really matters. You know, if you go into, for example, just in a work environment, go into a meeting, you've got a great piece of work. It's really technically, it counts for nothing if the people you're communicating it to can't can't understand and embrace it you know it's, it's all about how you perceived and i didn't really appreciate that as much and especially with a big growing company when you've got to make decisions to make sure that the company culture stays true to what it is and i've learned a lot on that side of things mainly from catherine um who's always been really intuitive at that side of things so i think i've grown quite a bit in that way i think i still carry the world on my shoulders a bit too much which is yeah, which is silly and I get quite you know, stressed about all, all the detail things that you know I seem to obsess over. That's still there and and, and actually hasn't hasn't got has probably got worse over the years, so it's something I need to work on a bit more. Do you think you've peaked or is the best yet to come? I hope the best is yet to come because I think um I still find a, a lot of what we do, you know, quite stressful. I find running a business quite a stressful process and I think more stressful than I, I probably should do. So I'm hoping the best is yet to come where I master running a, a business without, you know, stress-free and have loads of time on my hands, but maybe I'm just fooling myself. Maybe that's just the way life goes. I think potentially I've peaked and the peak was never very high. Um, <laughs> but people always Im imagine the, the mountain, right? So you, you go up to the peak and then it's a really quick descent down the other side, but I'm hoping for kind of a, a slow no, tail off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then you get to 50 and, you know, no one cares. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm already losing my hair and, um, yeah, every morning I get up a bit slower out of bed, you know. I'm not, not, not on the frisbee pitch anymore as I was at university, you know. Those days being the coolest man in, in, in university when I was president of the frisbee club. So. I mean... That's quite an honour, really. It was, yeah. I mean, that's probably the highlight of my life. So I probably have peaked and I'm <laughs> well on the way down the other side. Do you have any uh, niche or, or geeky interests? <laughs> I'd, I'd say he's answered that. <laughs> apart from uh, Apart from Frisbee. Apart from Frisbee. Well. I'd say uh, that's pretty cool. Why does my mind always go to the really, yeah. <laughs> the dark side. The dark side, whenever you say something like that. Um, I've got all my interests are niche and geeky. So the, the latest is... Um, I've joined the local village Crown Green Bowls. <laughs> I mean, that that's an exceptional Honestly. answer, Sam. So, yeah, there's, there's a few of the dads who, you know, all of our kind of friends, as you get older, you know, you all move apart, you see each other a bit less. And so, you know, just on a weekly basis, we all we're finding that, you know, go through a week without seeing anyone. You get home, put the kids to bed, you know, veg out on the sofa, drink a bottle of whiskey, you know, that kind of thing. It's normal standard behavior. And then... We said, right, we've got to do something about this. And we all said, right, let's get a focal point because blokes aren't good at just you know, meeting up and sit down and have a, a chat. We need something to do as well. So we decided to join the local Crown Green Bowls, which is it's absolutely awesome. It's because the pitch is slightly curved. I could get into a lot of detail. Oh, okay. yeah, you can see. So you... Um, yeah, you, you, whenever you play a length or, or whack off, as we call it, um, that's the professional <laughs> is that the term. Technical? <laughs> that's definitely the technical term for it. And every every... Pitch is different, so if you're off to the side, it'll roll one way, and, and it's, yeah, it's good. There's fun. quite a lot that goes into it, then. Yeah, yeah. So, so Crown Green Bowls is one. I've got a drone. I'd just like to fly that round. I'm definitely not um, <laughs> keep an eye on us. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, around the office. <laughs> and uh, what table tennis has obviously been one. So um, you know, which has been quite hot in the office. Um, what else? Got, everything I do is niche. So mountain biking is my big thing. And yeah, that's, that's pretty niche as well. I'm basically I'm not a mainstream sports person because I'm not very good. If 
you hadn't got into a career in research, what do you think you might have ended up doing? Oh, God, probably something like accountancy or something boring. I'd have, I'd have ended up, I was an actuary. That was the other thing I was uh, I was playing with. But that that's that was scary because that, that is really out and out numbers. Um, but other things I'd like to have done, um, like to have I did a lot of sailing as a kid and um, got me sailing instructors and and start to teach a bit of sailing, nearly drowned a few children and decided it wasn't <laughs> for me. <laughs> I like the sailing bit, but the instructing bit, not so much. I always fancied running a B&B in somewhere in North Yorkshire, but I think actually that's just hard work. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I would have ended up doing something mathematical. So I probably ended up exactly where I was meant to in the end. Catherine told us about one of her first jobs, working at a bingo hall yeah, and doing all sorts of uh, uh, jobs. It seems so out of sync with who she is now. What, what was your first job? So I had the paper round. That was a bit of a fairly obvious one. Um, and I did a lot of work in pubs, washing up in the kitchens and, and glass collecting and then on, and on the bar and stuff. So nothing, nothing absolutely random, to be honest. I'm just trying to wrap my head if I had anything more. My dad ran a um, company called the Yorkshire Stripping Company. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't what you think. It's uh, they they stripped um they had a big caustic soda tank and they stripped doors and wood. So I used to work down there and put all these doors into this caustic soda wearing you know very big gloves and. Would people ever get in contact get thinking it was? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, were people ever fooled by the name of the company thinking it was I think something quite else? Quite a lot were. Yeah, I think they, they did get a few comedy phone calls about, about what, 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 what they. Saying, what do you do? Is it a bit of like sort of swingers and all of that? There's a question we have to ask you because we talked to Catherine about it, and people have talked to me um, about it since then. The chips versus fries versus wedges debate. Mm -hmm. Where do you stand? Chips. Chips in beef dripping. That's it. End of end of debate. Fries have the place somewhere like, you know, with a, with a state. But if you were to say to me, right, one or the other. And wedges wed just, just have no right at any of this. You know, it's just a it's just a fake. You know, someone trying to feel a bit better about not having a chip. If you're going to have chips, there's got to be beef dripping and, and big fat fat boys. Definitely. Where, well, where, where's the debate gone with this one? I've had discussions with people outside of the podcast about the merits of, of wedges. Have you, oh. But I know, well, I know. Not for me. Yeah, definitely not. It's no. just, just a toned-down chip, isn't it? What about these newfangled sweet potato fries? Though? Oh, no. That's, that's, that goes right on the bullshit button. What, what are you <laughs> Does doing? It? Actually, I did have some um, um, battered um, courgettes the other day. They were really nice. They're good. Yeah, they're they're good. Good. Hang on a minute, you can't yeah. stop talking about beef dripping <laughs> fat chips and then talk about yeah, well, you know, just... tempura courgette. <laughs> oh, was, yeah. He's gone all Yorkshire to Southern <laughs> <No>. Softy. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, Don't I, be regionalist. Yeah, it's the same with the sweet hey, potato. Sweet potato fries, they're just, it should be a chip. You know, if you're going to have something that's unhealthy, then have a chip. What about, what are your views on crisps? What's your go-to crisp? Go-to crisps is beef McCoy's. Steak McCoy's, sorry, steak McCoy's. That's, that's it, those. It's a strong choice. Good, good, you know, solid ridges, you know, lots of flavour in there. Smelly fingers oh, afterwards. Yeah, yeah. Going to go like that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're very tasty. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know that you're dead against people licking their fingers after or during eating. But I mm. think with a McCoy, with that, 
quality of flavour. You're sort of duty bound to. I think your it's fingers. your own fingers, and you're not licking them in someone's face. Yeah, Sorry, it's your it, own I'm crisps. Saying... <laughs> I mean, not your own fingers. <laughs> oh, you can I have your fingers. There? Oh, um, yeah, that'd probably be inappropriate behaviour, wouldn't it? In the yeah. Face. It's your own crisps, and you're. But yeah, you know, if, you, if you're double dipping into some someone else's, that's just wrong. That's just wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. Got two questions there that go together. First one. You're stuck on a desert island with one of the box clever crew. Who are you picking and why? Oh my god. <laughs> Where do I go with that one? So many ways I could just trip up on this answer, isn't there? Yeah, that's why I've asked it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I think if I was stuck on a desert island with someone, it'd have to be Baggers, I think. Because I think she's she'd bring all the fun with her, the Hoth. Yeah. And she's Absolutely loyal to a fault, and she's just, yeah, she'd do all the work basically, and I'd be able to sit back and <laughs> do nothing. <laughs> Sorry, baggers. Anyone else I'd be stuck on? Who would I not be stuck on? That's probably, that's probably Catherine. I'd probably end up, <laughs> end up killing me probably first. So, Right, now you're stuck on a dessert island. Dessert island. But okay. which dessert would you like? I would go for a 1980s banana split. That's, that's, I went, we well, were, that is a good choice. Oh, that's a long way from where I'm at. That, there's a really good Italian in, in Weatherby, San Angelo's. Oh, yeah, I know, I know the place. Yeah, and honestly, you get their dessert menu, and it's like stepping back in a time warp. Do they have pictures of the desserts on oh, the menu? Yeah, Knickerbocker Glories, <laughs> <laughs> banana splits. It's just like heaven, and you're just like, oh, my God, I feel like I've gone back in time. And I got, yeah, I got a banana split the other day, and it's yeah, solid. I don't know if you'll remember this happening or if it will have ever happened to you. I'm starting to question whether it really did happen. But as a kid in the 80s, I remember being fascinated by Knickerbocker Glories. But they just look yeah. brilliant, don't they? They look like they've been designed by kids for kids. So I had one. And the bit that I was really, really interested in was right at the bottom when you get like the, the sort of the syrup. Mm. But it was fake. It was plastic. Really? Yeah, your face tilling. <laughs> I've never I know. that. And what? I think really a me- metaphor for life, probably that. Yeah. But why? As an as a kid, I was just really disappointed. But as an adult, was it just not the bottom of the cup, or was it actually like I'm going to put fake bit of? A- as as I said, what lunatic would put a, be a fake sauce at the bottom it's really of a Nickelback Glory you as well, wasn't it? Yeah, because one of the things when you're a kid, you've got so little control. You know, as an adult, we can just we can just have a delivery or something, can't we? We can do whatever we want whenever we want. We can have want. an Easter egg before Easter. Exactly. Yeah. For breakfast. Yeah. But as a kid, you don't have all those opportunities. So when I got this opportunity to have Knickerbocker Glory and discovered this crime had been committed, I mean, look, if people want to say that can't have happened, you're misremembering it was a dream. Yeah, maybe. But why would you do that? That is, that's just wrong. Sam, do you have a, a brand or a product that you have an emotional connection with? All my bikes. I've got a yeah, big connection with Do you have things. names for them? I used to have names, but I don't anymore, though, actually. No. I suppose it's a sign of getting older. <laughs> I think um, I've got, they're all a, a San, Santa Cruz, which is a, an American brand uh, out of California. Absolutely lovely bikes. So that's um, there's a plug for them, which they don't need, but um, they're very nice bikes. I'm just trying to think what else. We've just got a new, uh, new washing machine, actually. So yeah. uh, this is getting an exciting conversation, <laughs> isn't it? So it's a, it's a Miele. Oh, uh, yeah. Is that how you pronounce it? Very, very nice washing machine. It has some boxes at the bottom where... I'm very excited now. Called, I can see the passion yeah, in your face. <laughs> twin dose. So you, you put these two bottles in the bottom of the machine. That's it. You don't put any more oh, conditions. That's it. That's, that's it. You're months. sorted. Yeah. It's a, like a, you know, it's a game changer. None of that 
fabric softener on your hand situation where you got to run, run and wash off that silky yeah, feeling, yeah. you know. Um, what else? There's going to be better things. Aliens, aliens, Sam. Yeah. Yeah, they exist, definitely. I've got a little alien teddy. That's, yeah. <laughs> my grandma knitted me. Why are you so sure? <laughs> well, I've got one in my bedroom. So it's a big, big philosophical question. And being a stats man, you know, there's lots of odds in there, but you know, we've not found anything yet, so who knows? I was watching something the other day about it and how I can't remember the details of it. So that's what I used to do when I was a kid. I used to draw aliens. I had books full of aliens. Alien Club. I was the only member of Alien Club, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, tells you a lot about me. But uh, I drew lots and lots of pictures of very similar looking aliens. So, but yeah. Maybe we could just... bring, introduce Alien Club into alien the Club, I'll tell you what, yeah. Sam, give us an opinion that you know everyone else seems to disagree with. Oh God, most of my opinions. <laughs> <laughs> An unpopular opinion. Yeah. A lot of people disagree with all my movie opinions. I'm just trying to think of a specific one for you. So I think the yeah, the, the second and third Matrix films are actually really good. <laughs> There's, there's an example <laughs> and the list goes on I endlessly de debate most of my mates are like what did you think of that film like, oh it was good right I'm not going to go and watch it then or, oh it's crap oh yeah definitely watch it <laughs> they literally just yeah take the opposite view of me and most of them would probably argue I've got very bad fashion sense as well so you know if, I, if I'm not in a check shirt going to the pub like the rest of them then you know what, what are you wearing Sam so I think that that Matrix one is quite controversial mm. I've always thought that Back to the Future 3 was unfairly yeah, criticised. Yeah. Is it as good as the first two? No. Is it a bad film? No. No? No, no, no I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, Rich. <laughs> yeah, 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 we're, we're You're on, arguing with we're yourself. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot of people did think it was crap, didn't they? I'm trying to think what else. Other films that I thought were really good, most people think are crap. But that's what me and my wife have got in common is we love crap films. She watches absolute <laughs> rubbish, um, which is great because it just means whatever we sit down, we watch. Probably got lots of quite inappropriate opinions, but most people probably agree with them. They just don't say them. <laughs> if you could say thank you or sorry to someone, who would it be um, and what would you say? I'd say thank you to my wife and my dad. I'm, I'm, well, yeah, my, my dad and my wife for supporting me with the business setup. My wife gave me the kick I needed um, to actually get on and, and do it, um, and, I'd, and, my, and my dad gave me a lot of advice in the early days, and so I'll definitely say thank you there, and my wife just for putting up with me. I'll probably have to say sorry to Catherine for quite a lot of things, probably, <laughs> so I think um, uh, over, over the, the years, we've definitely... Um, she's definitely been the event, and, and probably both ways, but yeah, so sorry to, to Catherine. For... I think uh, Catherine said that she would apologise to Sam as well, if oh, I remember correctly, so there you go. Makeup, don't we? Yeah, I think we, yeah, I think that's just, we wear our hearts and our sleeves with each other, and therefore, yeah, take it out on each other too. So there you have it. It's not all Max Diffs, Van Westen Dorps and Conjoints. There's so much more to Insight and the analytics folk behind it. We must say a huge thank you to Sam for being with us and for being such a top bloke. Sam, we hope you've had as much fun as we have. On our next episode, we're joined by Matt Coggan. He's a box clever stalwart, a qual maestro, and despite his squeaky clean image, a man with a dark past. He's also never had a Cornetto. 
Is that true or did we just make that bit up? Join us and find out. <laughs> As always, we'd love to hear from you. So please do get in touch with us via our Twitter account, which is at WeBoxClever. And let's get a hashtag trending. Hashtag SoapBoxClever. And that's all one word. You can also email us via Tilly Lewis at BoxCleverConsulting.com. So if there's a question about market research, insight, box clever, or you want to talk more about pipettes, then just get in touch. And thank you for listening. Thank you.